Okay, we're continuing in our series, uh, Follow Me. Uh, but just before I get into uh, the, the message, Single and Satisfied, I just want to make the church aware that Deb and I recently attended the New Frontiers Family of Churches uh, International uh, Leadership Conference that was held in Turkey. Uh, here's a picture of us. Uh, and uh, there was, uh, I mean, th- this room represented some 1,500 churches around the globe. And you can just see me. I showed you this one because everyone's worshipping. I mean, this is the senior leadership of our movement. But I want you to see your pastor's hands are higher than anyone else's. Can you see me around this hand? And I was just feeling a bit threatened by everyone was there. So I was trying to look spiritual. So uh, that was going on there. So we had a fantastic time. And it's great to be a part of a movement of churches that are not just building, a, hopefully, a great local church here, but also a, a church that is uh, uh, going uh, around the globe. So, single and uh, satisfied. We live in a time, an era, where there are more single people than probably ever before. Especially if we compare to, say, just 50 years ago, there's been a huge shift in our culture that has meant for a whole range of factors there are just lots and lots of single people. Some of it is just purely because of life expectancy. People are just living longer. So if you're married and your partner was to die young, the likelihood is that you're going to live a long time and be uh, possibly or probably, unless you remarry, a single person. In our culture and as it impacts the church, people are getting married later. So it's very common now to get married in your late 20s, early 30s. I got married in my mid-twenties and my parents in their early twenties. And so uh, both in our culture and in the church, people are getting married later. So it's likely that most people in their twenties are single. That wasn't like that 30, 40 years ago. In fact, my son who got married at 22 works in the city and he works with 100 people and they think he's odd that he's got married at 22. Why would you get married at 22? The culture would say, why don't live a bit? before you get tied down. And that has uh, filtered a little bit into a church life as well. There's also the positive, very positive impact of the feminist movement. Uh, you're probably unaware that I read a book across the summer about the feminist movement. I'm becoming more egalitarian as I get older. Because huge changes in the empowerment of women have been very important. Uh, Yesterday, rather than watching the rugby, Deb and I went to see the uh, Suffragette movie. You must see it. It's a must. Have you seen it? You've got to see it. I mean, there weren't many men in the room, but I was there, okay? And it was deeply moving. And just the changes in education, those of us that have watched numerous Pride and Prejudice period dramas and movies understand this, that actually there was a time when If you're a woman, your options are very much connected to getting married and finding the right match. The the kind of level playing field for education has meant now that women have choice. They have far more choice than they ever had before. This is an excellent thing. But it does mean that you can, as a woman, get a good job and, and actually be independent. And some women are choosing not to marry. Of course, many women and men may be single and would like to marry. 
uh, equal pay, if at least legally is in place. Still not, uh, the research shows, uh, actually rolled out. But it does mean that things are very different to, say, just 50 years ago. The sexual revolution of the 60s had many positives, but it also had some downsides, particularly in our culture. The development and the breakthrough of the pill makes it very easy now for men and women to have uh, a sexual contact outside the context of marriage without the potential dangers or shame that pregnancy used to bring, and even less so now, uh, those single parents are very welcome in this church. Nowadays, to be a Christian and single is far more challenging than to be a Christian and married. Because to be a Christian and single and pure is very counterculture. Because everyone else is just sleeping around. And so to follow Christ and to make him king and Lord at times is costly because you are uh, against the kind of mainstream. Uh, in fact, now, if you're a single person, you go out for a meal with another person of the same sex or go on holiday, uh, most people might think, I wonder if they're into same-sex attraction and, and, and things like that. I have experienced this. I, uh, a few years ago, went out with Joel Virgo. Joel Virgo is the senior pastor of CCK. I was in Brighton, and me and him went out for a meal together. Just two guys going out for a meal. Two pastors going out for a meal. You know, married with kids everywhere. We're there. I knew we were in trouble when the waiter came across and lit the candle. <laughs> true story. True story. <laughs> he lit the candle. Oh, I looked in his eyes. Uh, no, I didn't. Um, <laughs> but if you speak to single people, and I, I do, you know, I, they say we go on holiday and everyone just assumes that maybe we're not just friends, but there's something more going on. It is very challenging. It is far more challenging to be a single Christian than it is to be a married Christian in our culture. And sometimes, as we'll get into in the message, the church doesn't help. Because the church has, particularly the Protestant movement, has overvalued marriage over being single. And so therefore, if you're a single Christian here, you can feel that you're getting attacked from the culture and you might not feel that you hold the same equality as those that are married in the church. Of course, we have the complexities of serial monogamy now, where people are actually... Uh, deciding they're going to live together for a while. And that sometimes fact flows into the church. Uh, and uh, that's where our culture is seeping in rather than us having biblical boundaries for lifestyle. So there's lots of things that are going on in our culture which are impacting what it means to be single and what it means to be married. Um, this is uh, deliberately the fourth part of the Follow Me series, and we have spent some time establishing a really important foundation before we get into the real issues, totally deliberately. As I pulled the series together myself, I thought, we've got to lay a foundation. The first foundation was this, there's a new king in town. Jesus comes and declares the kingdom of God is near and says, follow me. He wants you to follow him. 
there's a, a new kingdom breaking in. Then the second week, we talked about Bible and culture. That actually as Christians in a church like us, we're a Bible-believing church. Everyone is welcome. So you're welcome where you are on your journey. But you need to know at the heart of this church, we're endeavoring before God to live out lives that reflect the Scripture's teaching, not what our culture holds. Because if we just take the kind of uh, the ocean of culture that is around us, you will see very quickly is in conflict with what Scripture, Orthodox Christianity teaches. And so we're torn. We're torn about the culture that we've kind of grown up in and also the, the challenge of, of, of the Scriptures. And uh, Phil spoke on this about the fact that we're in an ocean of culture and some people try and withdraw from it. Uh, But actually, we are called to navigate through it and make choices, which sometimes are uh, are counterculture and puts us in opposition to our culture. And then last week, Hilary Brilliant spoke on the the whole thing of Savior and Lord, that Jesus doesn't only want to save you. It's like coming at it at a different angle. He wants to be king, but he wants to be boss. He wants to be Lord. And actually, to follow Jesus is costly. Sometimes it's going to cost everything. Yeah? Because following Jesus is costly. Sometimes it's going to cost everything. And uh, I'm going to swing back at the end of the series and talk about picking up your cross and following me. That challenge that comes with a king, a new king in town, a new lord of your life. In two weeks' time, I'm going to speak on uh, happily ever after. I'm going to speak about to those of us who are married, who are engaged, or who would like to be married. And um, I'm going to teach you uh, this week, and in two weeks' time out, the same passage. It is uh, 1 Corinthians 7. Uh, And so we're going to read that uh, now. And um, you see, since since the beginning of the Christian church, believers have had questions about what should you do if you're married, What should you do if you're single? What should you do if there is a breakdown of relationship? And the Apostle Paul uh, gets a letter. He gets a letter from the church at Corinth. And we have his response in 1 Corinthians. And we're going to read some verses from 1 Corinthians 7. I'm going to read um, quite a few of them. And I would say that this is the most positive uh, passage in the scripture about being single. There are passages about being married is positive, but this is the most positive. Uh, And uh, actually, even reading it in our type of church feels a bit counterculture. If we were Catholics, we might view this scripture differently. Where actually to follow Jesus and the devotion to follow Jesus is you become a priest and you don't marry or you become a nun. And so our church tradition... Not only our culture, but our church tradition flows into how we weigh this subject when it comes to our own personal value and the choices we make. So if we can, let's read it fresh. This comes, actually you can read it and feel like Paul's really against marriage. He isn't, but he really is promoting the value of singleness before God and in the church. So here we go, 1 Corinthians 7. I'm not going to read the whole passage. It's a long passage, but I'm going to read quite a bit of it. So stay with me. Now for the matters you wrote about. It is good for a man not to marry. That's the question. But since there, and his response, but since there is so much immorality, each man should have his own wife. 
and each woman her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife's body does not belong to her alone, and also, but also to her husband. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. Do not deprive each other except by mutual consent uh, for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Now I'm going to allude to this passage in more detail in two weeks' time. This is one of the most misused parts of the scripture. Okay? Uh, uh, men and sometimes women misuse and apply this and demand uh, things from a husband or wife. The principle of mutual consent is, is a very important clause and empowers both men and women in the, in the marriage bed. Okay? Just as an aside, just in case you miss it in two weeks' time. Okay. Then uh, come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all men were as I am. But each man has his own gift from God. One has this gift, another that. Now to the unmarried and to the widows, I say it is good for them to stay unmarried as I am. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. To the married, I give this command, not I, but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband. But if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And a husband must not divorce his wife. Pick up in verse 25. Now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord. But I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of this present crisis, I think that it is good for you to remain as you are. Are you married? Do not seek a divorce. Are you unmarried? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you of this. Now I will give a number of illustrations of this. Those of you who are single and just think it's all happy out there. I'm going to draw some illustrations from my own marriage. And, uh, which is dangerous. My beautiful wife is in the front row. Uh, and she's not going to be allowed to speak this morning. So uh, I'll have to be measured. Uh, let's pick up in verse 32. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affair. How he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world. How he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. Now, these have been mentioned already, uh, but um, the restored lives and the relationship matters are just fantastic uh, courses for you, if you have gone through divorce, uh, or you've got questions about remarriage and separation, uh, and also if you're thinking of getting married. So if you're here, you're dating, thinking about getting married, the Relational Matters will be a great course for you, and really, or day. We really encourage you to step in, because we want to provide follow-up sort of teaching for this important subject. Now, as we get into the passage... Uh, and it's 1 Corinthians 7 is a fun passage, isn't it? Didn't you enjoy listening to that? I mean, it's just sort of, it feels like, wow, wow. He says some sweeping statements there. Um, and so it's very important for us, before we apply it to our own lives, is to really understand the context. Now, it flows out of 1 Corinthians 6, sharp I am, 
1 Corinthians 7 flows from 1 Corinthians 6, okay? Well, and there, what, what Paul speaks about, he speaks, one of the things is, flee from sexual immorality. He actually says, run away from it. In the context of Corinth, not unlike our great city, is that it was just like a free-for-all. And it was seeping into the church. And so Paul was saying, flee from that. And we would say the same. He then, because of an overreaction in the church at Corinth, speaks positively about sex in the context of marriage between a man and a woman. Because the way the church was responding to a hedonistic, indulgent culture was there was a strain of teaching coming to the church at Corinth that is called asceticism. Which is basically sort of downing on your kind of body. Saying if you really want to be spiritual, you play down the kind of physical senses of eating or or sex. Asceticism simply means avoiding all forms of indulgence, typically for religious reasons. So what happened in the church at Corinth, it was a very secular and liberal culture in Corinth, say the way we're going to hold boundaries here is where no one should have sex. And Paul speaks into that and says, no, that's not what a God's way. Um, and we actually find ourselves in a situation which is very different to the Corinthian church. I don't think we've... I, I mean, I'm not having many people come up to me saying, you know, the, the thing you really should be teaching here, Steve, is that no one should be having sex. Yeah? I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not finding that. And um, I don't know if you are. I'm not finding that. In fact, our danger is more that the hedonistic society that, and the culture that we live in day by day, which is simply the pursuit of or devotion to pleasure, especially to the pleasure of the senses, is more likely that that is seeping in. Yeah? And so the question I'm asked when I was a youth pastor, I'm sure our youth pastors are still asked this question, is, I mean, how far can you go? You know, how far can you go? What can you touch and what can't you touch before it becomes sin? That, that's the question. It's, it's more of, well, gosh, it was just, oh, well, I love her. And, you know, well, well if you love her, marry her type. Well, I don't know if I want to do that. And so we have this, this it's more likely that actually hedonism is, is our action is that there's drift away from orthodox uh, New Testament teaching on relationships and sexuality. Um, some other comments on the passage. It's worth noting that Paul repeats this three times. Verse 17, verse 20, and verse 24 says, Remain in the situation you are in. Okay? Now, he does, does say, look, if you want to get married, that's fine. Uh, but he, he really appeals. If you're single, it's great. It's good. But he also appeals to married people. He says that if you're married, you're in for life. And you've got responsibilities. Uh, our culture, the kind of serial monogamy now, is that you kind of hitch up for a period of time. You don't want to really put your whole, whole thing in and make it legal. is because you just don't know if it's going to work out. This person that you're with might go strange. Or you might discover they are strange. Let me tell you that we are all odd. And we are all broken. And when you get married, you find out that more than when you're single. Yeah, honestly, if you knew me like Deb knew me, you might put you off marriage for a long time. Yeah, 
But we have this, oh, it's all going to be perfect, and we have kind of e-harmony, and all this going around, saying you'll find this perfect person, they meet all your needs, there'll be no issues. And so we just sold out. Our culture has taught us something that's not real. To build a great marriage is tough. And the Bible teaches, if you're in it and it's tough, stay in it. That's what it says. Remain in the situation you are. This passage is extremely positive about being single. And this is where our Protestant kind of sort of style of church uh, also influences into what we see as giving value. So before the 1600s, if you look at church history, the, the most committed Christians didn't get married. In fact, if you were really on fire for God, you didn't marry. And you still see that in the Catholic Church. And so for the first 1,600 years, if you were really devoted, as the Scripture teaches, and I read it to you, is that you'd be really devoted to God. And you wouldn't in any way be distracted by the cares of this world. There's, if, it's better to marry than burn with passion. Okay? Uh, but it, it, singleness is held high. It's esteemed with the model of Jesus and Paul kind of running through church um, history. So what happened in the 1600s? Well, the Reformation happened in the 1600s. When Luther married, it was shocking, absolutely shocking for a committed Christian to marry. I mean, that's like, it, it, it was like, that's the, that, that you don't do that if you're really devoted to God. But Luther concluded that because of the hypocrisy of the Catholic Church then, and all the bishops had their mistresses, that it would be better to marry. And that's what he taught, and that's what he practiced. And so we become, as a part of the Protestant kind of church movement, our danger is that we've overraised marriage as like the preferred state. That's not scriptural. In fact, they are equal. If you are married or single, they are equal before God and should be in the church. I don't always get that right, but I think it's an important thing just to say. And Paul goes on to say, look, there are real challenges with being married. It's difficult to be devoted to the Lord and also to have the cares of a wife and children. And I experienced this on the flight back from Turkey. I am flying back from Turkey, the conference I've just been to. My beautiful wife, Deb, is here. We are fortunate to have three seats on the plane. But, I, you know, I've got a lot on. So I'm writing my first draft of this message on the plane. I'm reading this passage and I get to my notes. The cares of a wife are demanding. I'm writing that and suddenly Deb's feet appear on my lap. All right, okay. <laughs> she has got the two seats. I've got the one seats. And the cares of life start to creep in. Now, the problem with this is I'm trying to write this and I'm about the Lord's work. I'm, I'm writing this sermon, it's important, and as I'm writing, I'm reading the text, the feet come up, and it's just, you know, we're, we're in, we're in things like, I turn and say, look, I'm working, I'm, I'm doing God's work, and she says, well, I want to sleep, and so I say, get behind me, Satan, and I do, I do, I do, I do. And I, guys, I want you to know I stood firm. She just, I said, I can't work, I cannot write and things like that. Because the kids. Okay. I think I might be cooking for lunch, but it was, it was worth it. Um, and of course, all of us, all of us will be single. And some of us will be married. 
Okay? Uh, that's a statement of fact. Okay? All of us. I was single till I was 26. Um, a number of you in the season of being single between the ages of 20 and into your 30s, I would understand that you might hope and expect to get married. I think that's good. Um, maybe you're in your 40s and 50s. You're questioning whether that's going to happen. Some of us, I hear you're widows or widower. Uh, I know someone in the church who was single, got married, wife died, became a widower, married again, and depending on who dies first, uh, will be single again. And so we all go through periods of being single, and for some of us, we are married. And each, um, each season of life brings opportunities and challenges. Another thing that impacts how churches have responded to the issue of marriage and singleness and sexuality especially, sometimes, though the motive is good, has made it more difficult for singles in church. So in response to the sexual revolution in our culture, uh, pastors and churches have responded. Rather than just being negative toward it, they have said... Uh, preach biblically to the positive nature of sexuality in the context of a husband and wife. This is a good thing. The trouble is, if you're sitting there as a single person, as a number of people have said to me, that doesn't help me as a single person. Stop, stop telling me it's great when you're married. That doesn't help me as a single person. But the reason that pastors and this church, and I have done it, is because it's a positive way and a biblical way to responding to what's actually happening in our culture. So they're not always giving a negative message. It doesn't always help single people. And if you feel like that, it's maybe important also to note that the Apostle Paul is actually very happy to address both the issue of singleness, the, the issue of making love, in his letter that is in the canon and was written to a church. And so it is appropriate at times to address both those that are single, those that are married in the context of a corporate gathering. That's what he does here in this passage. Starts with marriage, talks, and there's a section about remarriage, and there's a section addressed to single people. And this letter would have been read out to the church. There are appropriate contexts to have seminars for more detailed focus follow-up, but um, it's worth reflecting on. It's also worth reflecting on that a single man, the Apostle Paul, gave counsel to married people, which also means that a married man may be able to give counsel to single people. Um, So that's nearly all introduction today, and I have two land points. And simply, this has hopefully been a theme through the whole message. And the first point is this, that in the church, there should be no tier two system that before God and in the church, whether you're single or married, you are the same value. The same value. That if God calls you and you so choose to remain single, good for you. And there are some real opportunities that come with it. There are challenges, just as there is if you are married. I want to recommend this book. I've read a number of books in preparation for this message, but this one really helped me. The Single Issue by Al... If you are single, it would be worth reading. If you're married, it would be worth reading. Um, Of course, we 
all face the challenge of the grass is greener on the other side. Um, I was speaking to a single person this week. They were, I think single people were talking to me this week. So they were worried about what I was going to say. And so was I. So they're giving me loads of helpful information. And one single person said to me, said, do you know the, one of the most difficult things about being single is that when something goes wrong in the house, you've got no one there to fix it for you. Yeah, the light breaks, the bulb should change or whatever. And I looked at this person and I said, if you were married to me, you'd have two problems. <laughs> yeah? You'd have a bulb not working and you'd have a, a, a husband who hadn't got a clue. Okay, so you'll have two problems. It's not always, you know... In fact, Al Su says in his book, the challenge is to make a success of the single life if you are single and to make a success of the married life if you are married. The challenge is to make a success of the single life if you are single and to make a success of the married life if you are married. If you are a Christian here, you are to embrace the season you're in and make a success of it. To honour God as King and Lord, whether you're married or whether you're single. One single person wrote, quoted in this book, said, I would like to be married, Hans said, but I would much rather be single and wish I was married than married and wish I was single. (laughs) Now you laugh, and it's a fun quote. But on our pastoral list in this church, the longest list we have, the most challenging things we have, is marriages that are struggling. Which is why the exhortation about stay together and why I'm going to speak on two weeks' time on loving the stranger, this odd person that you are and you've married. And uh, that's just a fun-filled message in two weeks' time. I can see you're all, oh, great. This is going to be such fun, Steve, thanks. I'll come along to that, okay? But it's, it's, it's important. It's not to say that marriage isn't something that is enjoyable and great, uh, but let's avoid a two-tier system. Okay, now in our groups, I'm going to ask that question. I suspect it will spark some interesting discussion, but let's have the dialogue, at least. It's a starting point. And then... Being single, there are challenges and opportunities, like in any state, whether single or married. John Stott, who, uh, Anglican writer, the leading theologian probably of a generation, uh, actually was a single man, and he's, he's written in this book an appendix. It's fantastic to read. One of the things he says, apart from sexual temptation, the greatest danger which I think we face as single people is self-centeredness. I just thought that would just be such a, a quote to use, just to win, you know, just to make single people feel really happy and, you know, so self-centeredness. I would add companionship as the other thing, or, or being lonely and on your own. And I think the, the thing about self-centeredness, if you are a single person, uh, may I suggest, is I think that this is the dark side of what you have to do with the resilience of standing on your own, because you are on your own. And so therefore you you have to make decisions. You have to carry those decisions. Uh, But the danger in that is that you become independent, actually, and less open to counsel and input from others. Because you're having to live in a certain way 
where you're not having the joy or the privilege or the challenge are rubbing up to another person who is broken all the time. And so therefore, you can... Anyway, that's a danger that John um, Stott suggests. So (laughs) I'll let him speak for himself. There are opportunities when you are single. There are things you can do. Uh, you can be soul-focused. Uh, you, you don't have to take into consideration other things and other people so much. There's opportunity to serve, travel, and do certain things that if you're married, uh, that are less easy to do. Uh, and the opportunities and the importance of building genuine friendships uh, is critical. Uh, and actually, you would, one would hope that the church then is a good place to be if you're single. Because it is in the context of a community that you can share lives. That's why we encourage people to step into groups. And it's why as a church that we want to be inclusive. Uh, we want to be a church where if you, you could ask someone to help change a light bulb. Just don't ask me. It's outside my gifting. Okay, uh, Better to ask Deb. She's far better than DIY than I am. Um, but what we do want to do is we do want to build... An inclusive church, don't we? We want to be a church where you're welcome whether you're young or old. We want to be a church whether you're welcome whether you're black or white. And we also want to be a church that's welcoming to whether you're single or married. Because uh, your status before God is the same and it should be in the church. Let's pray together.